Luke chapter 19 tonight. Don't worry, when we get to work this week, I'll teach Brother Pickett how to send a text message. He's still used to sending telegrams. That's why Miss Sherry didn't get it. He was looking for one all week long. Oh, I got you. I got you. Sure, yeah. All right, Luke chapter 19 tonight. I have to be very honest with you. The other night, we had the, the youth department stays in the service once every, uh, one Wednesday every month. Usually, it's the third Wednesday of every month, depending on the circumstances that could change. But the other night, as I was listening to our senior pastor preach, he said one phrase that just stuck out to me, and it was really a reference to a Bible verse. This Bible verse so shook me that I've meditated on it all week, and it really, it really kind of changed my perspective on something. So I would like to just talk to you quickly tonight out of a little bit on the heels of what he was saying Wednesday night, not to try uh, riding his coattails or outdo him. Neither one of those things apply here. I'm just trying to share with you something that spoke to me, and I hope that it will speak to you in the very same way. Luke chapter 19 Verse number 37, it will not be a lengthy passage of Scripture, so please do your very best to pay attention as we read it. For in Luke chapter 19, verse 37, the Bible says, And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. Heavenly Father, Lord, please, tonight I pray that you'd be with me, speak through me, use me, Lord. I don't stand up here uh, in any type of pride, Lord. I, I don't have any ability to move anybody down these aisles. What we are about to begin to do is something of a very spiritual nature, Lord. And Lord, I'm, I, I'm trying to work on the hearts of people through your word. And honestly, Lord, I've never been trained for that. Lord, the only thing that I have tonight is... I, I can depend on your Holy Spirit to speak to people. For all I'm doing is preaching your word. I'm just standing up and proclaiming the truth of God. And so, Lord, it is upon you to speak to hearts and to move Christians. Father, I pray tonight that you would be glorified by this message and the Son of God would be lifted up high so that you could draw all men closer to him. Father, I pray that you would do a great work through this sermon. I pray that people would open their heart, that they would not be so focused on what's going on tomorrow on their day off, but Lord, that they would realize there is nothing more important in this entire life than the spiritual matters we're about to talk about in the next 35 minutes. Lord, please be with our message tonight, I pray in Jesus' precious name, amen. Now, a few weeks, as I was, a few weeks ago as, we were pre as I was preaching, I mentioned there was a, a Bible passage and it was kind of unique, it stuck out, and I wanted to have some, uh, a little bit of a comic relief in the message. And so, the Bible said, hold ye your peace. 
And so I, I kind of equated that to a modern day way of saying, uh, shut up, but it would be back in biblical times. And I, I simply said this statement. I said, instead of saying something as, I don't know, crude as the word shut up, maybe we could start as Christians use kinder words like, hold ye your peace. I mentioned that a few weeks ago, and, and really to my surprise, uh, very much so to my surprise, I got two different reports during that same week following that message of small children who looked at their sibling, and instead of using the words, shut up, they looked at their, their, their sibling and said, hold ye your peace. And I said, people are paying attention. What a surprise. That was amazing. And it actually made my day when I heard those reports. Now, as Christians, we can't always use words and terms that the world uses. And for instance, that's a good example. Well, we have, as Christians, developed better ways to tell somebody that they are dumb with actually, without actually having to come right out and tell somebody that they're dumb. And we use it in a sense like we'll be talking about a person. Us Baptists don't ever do that, so I'm really talking to the Methodist crowd here. That was a lie. Uh, but we, we developed ways to tell somebody that a person is dumb without actually having to say such a crude and vulgar word like that. So these are a few ways that I came up with that we have, I don't know, kind of made to tell someone they're dumb without actually coming right out and saying it. He couldn't find his way out of a paper bag. You ever heard that? I've heard that. What about, yeah, that guy's a few fries short of a Happy Meal. You ever heard that? I've heard that. His elevator don't go all the way to the top. I've heard he's not playing with a full deck of cards. That's a backslidden Baptist that says that. When, when their first thought is cards, you know they're in trouble. I've, I've actually said this one, and he's not the sharpest knife in the shed. Y'all ever heard that one? That's, that's one of my favorites. I say that all the time about people. I'm glad y'all caught that. Uh, I've heard this, not the brightest bulb in the box. I've heard all those. And those are funny ways. Now, I also looked at another list that was compiled of Texan ways to say these same types of things. He's an Aggie. No, 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 I'm just kidding. I, I'm just kidding. John's not even here tonight, and I'm picking on him. What a shame. Uh, this is a Texas way to say it. If a duck had his brain, he'd fly north for the winter. A Texan would say, she doesn't have enough sense to spit down wind. If he was bacon, he wouldn't even sizzle. I've heard this one before. I like this one a lot. If brains were leather, he, wouldn't he couldn't saddle a flea. That's pretty good. I like that. This is one of my favorite sayings that my dad uses, probably right up there with that one over like a pregnant pole vaulter. I, I like that one. This is one of my favorites that he uses. If all her brains were dynamite, she wouldn't have enough to blow her nose. That's good right there. That is just, that's deep theology there. That's what I'm talking about. I like that. Now, this is one that I've used a whole lot, and, and probably to my shame. Have you all ever heard this saying, 
That person's as dumb as a box of rocks. You ever heard that? I've heard that. In fact, most of the time I've heard it, people were saying it about me. I said, well, thank you. <laughs> you know, I, I've done a lot of tests in my life. Uh, I went through high school. I went through college. Um, uh, I took the ACT. I never took the SAT. But in all of my schooling and all of the tests that I've taken, I've, I've learned one thing is that I am just right at an average student. I made very average grades. I was not a great student. I was not a failing student. I made just good enough grades to play basketball. About all that mattered back then. Now, I, I, made, I made just good enough grades to where I wasn't always worried at the end of the deadline if I was passing, but I never really applied myself so much that I was, say, an, a straight-A student. I mean, that went out the window and say, second grade when we stopped taking naps and getting recess, I'm like, what? I'm going to rebel. And then I just started making bad grades. But in all my years, I would not call myself a, a, a stupid person or a, a dumb person or even an unlearned person. Now, there's things I don't know, but I would consider myself right at an, at an average intellect level. But can I say it at night? I wish I were as dumb as a box of rocks. And I believe it would behoove us all to be about as dumb as a box of rocks. And you say, what are you talking about? Well, in our passage here, there are some rocks that have kind of wised up. And I think we need to take a look at them tonight. I want to give you four reasons why God deserves our praise. Look at our passage there at the end, verse uh, maybe verse 39. The Bible says, And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. Now why were they saying that? It was because there was a lot of disciples giving praise to Jesus Christ. And they were saying things like, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord. And so these Pharisees didn't quite like what was being said. And they looked at Jesus and they said, You need to tell them to hold their peace. And Jesus looks right at them and in verse 40 he says, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. Friend, today there is no one in this earth who deserves any praise that you have to give except Jesus Christ. Any gift, any power, any ability that anybody has was given to him by God. If it were not for God, we would still uh, just be dust. You understand that God is the giver of all good things. And if anybody's ever done anything great for humanity, it's been because of God. And I just believe that God deserves our praise. He deserves our worship. He deserves our very, very best. But we don't give it. I tell you, we're so silent about our praise and worship to God, it's a shame. And I want to give you four reasons why God deserves our worship and our praise. First of all, I want you to notice because of His mighty works. Verse number 37 the Bible says, And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples... Now, I find it very unique, and I've talked to you about this before. When the Bible uses this term, the whole multitude of disciples, it's not talking about the whole multitude of the twelve disciples. You understand. The, a twelve, twelve is not a multitude. 
If I have 12 in the youth department, my dad's not saying, Wow, Andrew, what a multitude you had on Sunday. He's saying, Son, you need to hit some doors. 12 has never been a multitude. So when the Bible says a whole multitude of the disciples, that means everybody in the crowd was a follower of Jesus. And we've talked about this time and time again. Jesus never called Christians. He never called Christians. He called disciples. The Bible says if we're to be a disciple, we are to take up our cross. Oh, a disciple is not always an easy task, but it is the task we are called to do. Verse 37, And the multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and to praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. Now we know what this is talking about, don't we? Boy, Jesus traveled all throughout the regions there doing great miracles. Man, y'all recall some of the great miracles that he did? He he began his ministry just doing small miracles like uh, turning the water into wine. He he was kind of doing some smaller miracles, but in his ministry we saw great miracles performed. We saw ten lepers healed. We saw just amazing things. Lazarus raised from the dead. Just in the previous ten chapters in the book of Luke, we've seen a blind beggar healed, ten lepers cleansed, a man that had the dropsy or an abnormal gathering of internal fluid, he was healed. We saw a woman with the spirit of infirmity healed. Jesus fed 5,000 men and women. He heals a child with an unclean spirit just in the last ten chapters. Now, in the Bible, the Bible tells us of 31 healings of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's not to mention all the ones that the Bible doesn't record. The Bible says that there are 37 miracles that are recorded in the Word of God. But I believe if you study, the Bible says several places that he would go throughout crowds and he would just go throughout healing people. So in other words, the number probably far exceeds 30 as huge crowds would flock to him for no other reason but to see miracles performed. So that was the main reason a lot of people were going to Jesus, was to see miracles. And so that being the case, I can just imagine when everybody saw Jesus healing this person and and Jesus feeding the 5,000 men, not to mention the women and children, I just can't imagine how amazing those works must have been. It would have been an awesome sight to see. Jesus did amazing wonders and works while he was walking this planet. But did you know before Jesus ever walked this planet, he did amazing miracles and wonders? Oh, if you do your research, it was not God in the burning bush. Well, it kind of was. It was Jesus the Christ in the burning bush. For the angel of the Lord was in that bush, and not just three or four verses later, it's God speaking to him. So how did God become the angel of the Lord? Well, in Scripture, Jesus Christ is predominantly known as the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament. So that was a Christophany. And as Jesus said, go, Moses, deliver my people. And Moses says, who is it that sends me? Who sh- if they ask, who sends me? Jesus says, you tell them, I am sent you. And it was Jesus' power that split the Red Sea. It was Jesus' power that all the Old Testament prophets did those works in. I love those passages of Scripture where people look at the prophets and they're like, wow, what an amazing thing you did. And the prophets say, ho, 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 it was not me that did it. It was the God I serve that did it. 
Any amazing task in the Word of God, you mark it down, any amazing feat in the Word of God can be directly linked to God and His power. Every amazing story, every amazing miracle, it's God. Oh, but even before the Bible was written or started to be recorded, Jesus was doing works. Do you know the Bible tells us exactly who stepped out on the ledge of nothing and created this earth? Did you know it was not God who did that? Well, it kind of was. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, uh, it, it tells us that for by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him. And if you do your research, Colossians 1 in its entirety is speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus did amazing works. You know, I've not lived very long on this earth, but he's already done a lot of works for me, too. I'll sit there in my recliner watching the Rangers beat the Yankees, and, uh, Brother Sean, I'm sorry, John's not here, so I need somebody to pick on. I'll sit down in my, my, I shouldn't have said that, they're going to lose now, by the way. I'll sit down there in my recliner watching that television set of mine and I'll be looking over at my wife and I'll think, what an amazing lady the Lord's given me. I mean, she only talks nine into nothing. When I ask her to get up and get a sweet tea for me, she says, you know where it is. <laughs> Garrett the other night was talking about... Uh, was talking about having to do his own laundry at the graduation. That's the thing that intimidates him about college. I say, well, Garrett, just find a good wife real quick. <laughs> I, uh, I, I look over at my wife and I say, what a beautiful lady. She's a godly lady. You know, those are getting hard to find nowadays. And behind every great man, you mark it down, there will be a godly lady. And uh, I look over at my wife and I say, what a beautiful lady. I'm so blessed that the Lord would give her to me. I look over at my little daughter and I say, what a mess. <laughs> I say, Caitlin, do you love Dad? No! Now that's not a joke. That's literally what she says. I say, Caitlin, I love you. Do you love Daddy? No! I promise you. I look down at my daughter and I say, what a miracle. What a miracle. I've not lived a life good enough to deserve a family like I have. I'm not deserving of the ministry that God's given me or even the calling that he's given me. You go be the CEO of some large corporation. I'm a child of the king and a servant in his kingdom. Look, I am blessed beyond all belief. And my friend, if you were to evaluate your life, I would have to say that you could say like the hymn writer, count your many blessings. That's what they were praising him for. The very first thing that came off their tongue was, look at everything he's done. I followed him and the reason I'm praising him today is because of the works he's done in my life. My friend, if it was not for the Lord Jesus Christ, I would be living a rebellious life that meant nothing. 
I would go be on a Memorial Day weekend. I'd be spending it on a lake somewhere. I would drink myself so drunk that I would not be able to stand up. I'm, I can't stand up for different reasons. That's a basketball tournament. But I, I, I would drink myself so silly that I wouldn't even be able to remember Monday when I got to work on Tuesday. What a great life. Look, God has done so much for me. The least I can do is say, what an awesome God. Praise be to you because, Lord, I, I, I get so fatigued at people talking about miracles don't happen today. You go ask the, 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 the drug addict that was addicted to something before and now through Christ and the calling that he's now giving him and the, the higher purpose he's now given him, you go ask him if miracles happen today. You go ask the mom who the only hope that she has right now for her children is that God will get a hold of their hearts. And I've literally lived it out personally in my own life. When you have nothing to do with your child and, and you're just hopeless, you go ask that mom who sees that prodigal son or that prodigal daughter return. You go ask that person whether God exists and whether miracles still happen. Friend, the only reason we should praise God is for the works that he's done for us. Oh, the psalmist said, when I look at the heavens, Lord, when I behold the wondrous works of your hand, I'm just in awe. I'm in, I'm, I'm in wonder at all you've done. Oh, we ought to praise his name for it. We ought to praise him for the mighty works of his hand. Secondly, I want you to notice with me, because of his majesty, because of his majesty, look in verse 38. Now, in verse 37, it says they, they followed and, and they praised him with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. And then verse 38 goes on to say what they were chanting, what they were saying. And it began like this. Blessed be the king. The king. Now, Jesus came to this earth and he did not look much like a king. If that hotel keeper that night had known that royalty was living there, I, I got a feeling that he would not have said, yeah, I've got a barn out back you can stay in. When Jesus came, it did not look very royal or did not appear that he was any nobility of any kind. He just born to a poor Joseph. Just born to a little old uh, Virgin Mary. They're just going back doing doing what uh, 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 the, the, the king, uh, the, the, the leaders of that day are telling them to do, just go pay taxes. Yeah, they're just doing what the man commands them to do. Oh, there's nothing special about Jesus when he came to this earth, but I tell you what, there's something very special about his kingliness, about his kingship. He's nobility. Sometimes I got a feeling we treat him more like a president. You know, there's a big difference between a president and a king. I'll give you a couple of examples. A president is elected to office by the people who he is to govern. A king receives his crown and authority because of his bloodline. You know the reason Jesus Christ is who he is? Because of his blood. You know the reason that his blood had to be shed for us? Because it's the only pure blood available. He's not a president. He's a king. A president's policies must be presented to Congress and passed on by them. If Congress presents a law to the president and he vetoes that law, 
the law can still be passed as long as Congress uh, passes it with two-thirds majority vote. Not so the case with a king. A king answers to no one. He asks no one what policies he should implement, no laws that he should give. A king's word is final. We treat him like a president. I'll give you an example. We don't listen to his word like it's final. We don't live his word like it's final. I'll give you, I'll tell you, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. With a membership of 2,000 people, we're not treating him like he's a king. A king's word is final. It's absolute. It literally is binding. Well, we're not treating him like a king. We're treating him like a president. It's a shame because we're comfortable with that. Our society has taught us how to live in uh, submission to our president. We're not even used to the term king. We're not even used to giving him honor. We're not even used to bowing down. You know what? When people shake the president's hand, they look him right in the eye. You don't do that with a king. We treat him like a president. A president is not born better than a U.S. citizen. He's given equal benefits and privileges as any other citizen. However, a king's son, a prince, is treated at no, as nobility from his very birth. He's given special privileges and rights, uh, including education and, and accommodations. A king's son is a king from birth. The Bible says, in the beginning was the word. And don't be confused. I don't want you to be an ignorant church family. When the Bible says word there, it's not talking about the written word of God. So please never use it in that context. It is literally demeaning to Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Now, the Bible's not God. The Bible is God's word. That's why down, I think in verse 18, just on down the chapter, the Bible says, And the Word became flesh. Now, that book's never got up and smacked me. It smacked me in the face plenty of times. It never got up and uh, flesh and whipped me up. It's tore me up plenty of times. It's never been flesh. The Bible says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Where else does it call somebody the only begotten of the Father? Huh. John chapter 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. You understand, Jesus Christ was King in eternity past, and He'll be King in eternity future. Jesus was not just a, a, a little above the angels. Jesus was not just a little better than man. Jesus was God from the very beginning. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter, uh, Hebrews chapter 1, who, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had made by Himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being so much better than the angels, as He hath inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. If you read down uh, chapter eight or chapter one of Hebrews, verse number eight, God the Father calls Jesus Christ the Son of God. God. God the Father calls Jesus Christ God. 
You don't tell me he's inferior to, to the Father. Jesus says, I am the Father on one. Oh, not one in purpose. They're one, man. There are three that beareth record in heaven. <laughs> Jesus, God, the Father, and the Holy Spirit of God. Those are the only three opinions that matter because they are all equal in person. They're all equal in power. They're all equal in privileges. Guys, crowd, please don't mistake what Jesus has done. He is the king of the earth. And though he may not have come as a king the first time, although he was, the second time he comes, the Bible says, every tongue will, every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of lords and King of kings. Every tongue will bow. I don't care if your name's Alexander the Great. I don't care if your name's uh, Caesar. I don't care if your name's Pharaoh. It does not matter who you are. I don't care if your name's Barack Obama. Actually, I do care because I'm going to keep an eye on him as he bows. Every knee shall bow. Don't mistake him as your president. His word is final. He's been king from the very beginning. He's our king. We ought to treat him like one. I want you to notice thirdly with me. The reason he deserves our glory and our praise is because of his mission. Verse 38, the Bible says, their, their song of praise was this. Blessed be the king, now don't read over Bible, that cometh in the name of the Lord. Now, this is such deep theology, I really can't even explain it. I don't know where to begin. Because I don't fully understand the type of love that someone could have for man. That's why the psalmist says, when I beheld your works... Who is man that thou would be mindful of him? I don't fully comprehend this and I'm struggling to explain it. Why would God be seated on the right hand of the Father in glory with angels to worship him? Their own purpose in their uh, creation was to stand before the throne of God and to worship him. And now he looks down on earth and has pity for me. It was my fault I'm in the mess I'm in. It was Adam's fault that he's in the mess he's in. Now, I don't understand what type of love, what type of compassion would constrain him to look down and say, I think I'll make myself equal with them. And I think I'll go to him as a servant. But I'll go to him and I will lay myself down on a cross. And I will watch as the men that I've created take nails and place them in my wrists. They take nails and place them in my feet. And men that I've created and I've, I've worked on and the Bible says fearfully and wonderfully made these men. I will take these men and I will allow them to rip my back open with a cat of nine tails. I will allow myself, as the Bible says, as a sheep before his shearer is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. Jesus carried his own cross there. Jesus says from, from glory, looks down, he says, Father, I will go for them. Why? 
You know why we ought to praise Him with every bit of our being? Because He came. Because of the mission that was given to Him by the Father, and He said, I'll do the Father's will. I seek not my own will, but I have come to do the will of Him that sent me. Jesus came to humble Himself. The Bible says He was uh, stricken, He was smitten for our transgressions. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. He was bruised for our iniquities. He was uh, uh, bruised for our uh, failures. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. Why would He come to die for me? I don't know. But this you better know, He did. And I was trying to teach the youth department this the other day. He'd have done it if you were the only one. I don't know why from the the throne of God he looked down and saw every failure that I'd ever do, pre-salvation and post-salvation. The post-salvation ones are uglier than the pre-salvation ones. And he says, I'll go die for him. I don't know. You know why I'm going to praise him? You know why people outside these walls are going to know I'm a Christian? And I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and salvation to those that believe. You want to know why I'm going to stand up and praise His name and say, God's been good to me every day of my life. He's always good. Even in the valley, God's good. On the mountaintops, God's good. God is good all the time. You know why I'm going to say that? Because He came. He submitted Himself to my hand. And he took my sins and bore them on the cruel cross of Calvary. I don't understand. I don't know why he did, but he did. John chapter 19, verse 20. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. I can't believe it, but he did. It was his mission. Thirdly, uh, uh, Fourthly, I want you to see this and we're done. You say, 30 minutes? Well, I prayed 35 minutes, so if I... If I lie to God, that's not very good. So we got to hurry. Fourthly, the reason we ought to praise God, the reason we ought to worship God is because of the muzzling. Look at verse 39. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. In other words, make them shut their mouth. They're talking foolishness. What are they even saying? You know what they're saying is wrong. Master, shut their mouth. Verse 40, And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. For the most part, when the Pharisees followed Christ's ministry, it was almost always and predominantly to discourage it. What I mean is, most of them did not come seeking truth. They were content with the lies that they were living. Most of them were content living the old way, and this new idea of a Messiah coming to die for them was not the Messiah they had in their mind. So they were totally opposed to Christ's ministry. An exception to this, of course, is in John chapter 3, when Nicodemus comes to Jesus, and he's truly seeking for answers. And he comes and says, Master, what, how can a man be born again? And Jesus says, well, he, cannot, he says, can he enter into his mother's womb a second time? And Jesus explains to him. That's where we get the verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But Nicodemus is a rare example for almost all the time the Pharisees followed him. They were doing it to, to, to be contrary to everything that he would say. 
all the time he'd be giving a parable or he'd be giving some truth and they'd say, oh, do you mean this? And they'd try catching him in, in what he was saying. You all know what I'm talking about. Many times they would follow him and they'd say, oh, good master, you cannot heal this man for it's the Sabbath day. And Jesus says, which one of you uh, who had a sheep that would lost would not go find that sheep on the Sabbath day? He said, of course I'm going to help these people. And you understand that every time a Pharisee, almost every time a Pharisee follows Christ, it was in contradiction to his entire ministry. These people are no exception. Jesus is giving them truth. The people see the works that he does, and, and they all say, Praise be to the King for the works that he has done. Peace in heaven. Oh, and they're, they're so uh, uh, amazed because they're disciples. They're true disciples. And mark this down. True disciples will always worship. And they're giving him the adoration he deserves. And these Pharisees, in contradiction to Christ's ministry, look at him and they say, Can't you tell them to be quiet? Can't you get them to shut their mouth? And Jesus looks him right in the face and he says, I could. But if I told them to be quiet, the very rocks on the side of the road would begin screaming out praises to me. That's good. Here I see that they're trying to silence the message. And all throughout the Bible, they try silencing the message, do they not? I call your attention to Acts chapter 4. When, uh, when Peter is standing in front of the council, Peter and John, in fact, and they're standing there and they, they, they see the boldness that they're preaching with and, and they say, in whose name are you preaching? And Peter begins to preach to them. I love that. Instead of actually giving them an answer, he's like, well, we do it in this guy's name and he'll save you from your sins. In fact, that's the same passage we get this, word for, uh, uh, this verse from. For there is none other name given under heaven among men, whereby we must be saved. That's the sermon that he preaches to those guys there that day. I don't think they were wanting a sermon. I just, they're like, man, we can't get this guy to stop preaching. I love that. That's good. That's good. Acts chapter 4. And they say, well, now it's time you just silence yourselves. And Peter looks at John. Almost with disbelief. That's the way I imagine it. Looks at him like, what? What are these guys saying? Looks at John and looks back at them and they say, he, he says, Whether it be right in the sight of men, or whether it be right in the sight of God to obey men rather than God, I don't think so. We cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. You can't shut our mouth. There's no way you can silence us. You know why? Peter's like, Man, I was on the Mount of Transfiguration. You want to see something scary? You want to see something that will blow your mind? You go watch Jesus just unfold himself. You just go watch God unwrap himself in that measly flesh that he was wrapping himself in. You just go watch Jesus. He says, I, I'm going to tell people about that. They beat him and, and, and release him. They're like, oh. Okay, don't do that anymore. I mean, go read it. That's basically what they say. Later on in the book of Acts, they take Paul, they take Silas, they cast him into prison. They, they found out that beating Paul doesn't work. They found out that shipwrecks don't discourage him. 
So they just throw him into a jail cell. And I love this. The Bible says that at midnight they sing praises to God. It's good. At midnight, what is your song like? Midnight's dark. Midnight's lonely. But he couldn't take their song away. I love that. And they're in that jail cell, and I don't know what they're singing. We'll just, for the purpose of this sermon. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because he first loved me. And that old jail keeper is sitting back there in the back. I kind of picture him with an Andy Griffith TV show on. He's got his feet. He's out of that Barney. He's a funny fella. He's got his feet propped up on his desk there and his table, uh, his, his office chair. That's the way I picture it. Got some donuts off to the side. Not that all officers eat donuts, but donuts are good. Who doesn't eat donuts? I'm just not stereotyping. Donuts are good. Our audiovisual guys upstairs, that's all they do. They don't even do the service. They got a box of donuts up there every time. I picture him there and he's hearing them. Oh, how I love Jesus. It's like, man, I can't believe they won't shut up. They're in jail. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I shouldn't say that. I can't believe they won't hold their peace. They're in jail. Nobody wants to hear them singing about this Jesus guy. If Jesus is so strong and powerful, why don't he just deliver them? Oh, y'all know the story, right? I'm not just shaking. This is, this is not a stroke. Okay. The basketball tournament hurt me, but not that bad. He begins to feel something. A lot more than that 4.0 we had the other day. Shakes. The very earthquake shakes the foundation of the prison so much. I don't know how they were secured, uh, but, but the jail cell just swings open. Couldn't take their song away. When that man comes in there, he just assumes they're all gone. What am I going to do? And Peter says, or I'm sorry, Paul and Silas say, Hey, don't take your life. And that man looks at them and says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? You can try and silence the message all you want. When a disciple is praising God, it's never going to be silenced. But here's the problem. Modern day... I don't know if the devil changed his strategy or not. You see, in America, we're not being imprisoned for what we say. We're not, there, I mean, there's no restrictions on what we say. People are saying a lot of dumb things now, and there's no restriction. And yet, we're more ineffective now than we've ever been. Less people are telling the story of Jesus. Less people are praising him and worshiping him openly less people are doing that than ever before. And I think the devil's changed his strategy. Here's what I think it's changed to. Drowned them out. You ever notice everybody has a cause now? There's a cause for everything. Did you know PETA wanted to purchase a building in Maine for $250,000 to set up a memorial for lobsters? They wanted to create awareness for the pains that lobsters go through to the dinner plate. And they said, what better place? And they purchased a prison. 
They said, what better place than a prison to show the agony that lobsters face? With children living under bridges, they buy out a building that is specifically designed to house large numbers of people to show some lobster pictures with a tear going down their face. Everybody has a cause now. Did you know that there was literally a document passed to government in recent years that was uh, uh, trying to give rights to vegetables? Now, in this document, I will, in in full transparency and disclosure, I will say that the document said, we are justified to preserve human life, to consume uh, vegetables, but they need rights too. Did you know that our government recently spent over $100,000, I believe the exact number is $170,000, gave it to a university to, to study, I'm trying to say this right, ga- cow flatulence, to see if there was ethanol in them. Everybody has a cause. You ever been at the Ranger game and... And there's so much noise, you can't hear one person shouting. I mean, a guy 12 rows from you, you can't even clearly make out what he's saying because he's, ah, everybody else is making noise. I think the strategy's changed. The strategy is drown them out. If there's enough terrible causes, the one good cause will go unheard. You see, when the homosexuals are shouting... And, 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 and the minorities are shouting, and I'm not trying to be unpolitically correct. I'm just saying everybody has a cause. People are screaming against police officers' authority now. And I'll tell you what, the last job on earth I'd want is a police officer's job. The one good guy out there that he's chasing, he just has to assume when he goes to his pocket, he's going for his driver's license? Are you kidding me? I don't want that job. I don't want to have to make that call whether to draw my weapon and take someone's life. I don't want that job. And yet, there's so many causes, people rioting in streets, this cause, this cause, this cause, and there's so much noise, people are drowning us out. And I told a young lady this the other day, struggling with uh, issues that go very deep, in an institution that is trying to help her with mental type things and emotional type things, I looked her straight in the face and I said, I do not believe the answer for you is in this building. I said, if I did, I would have given my life to become a doctor. If I could have helped you more by going to medical school, I would have done it. But I went to the place where I thought could change people's lives and actually improve their uh, manner of life. I went to the one place where I thought that people actually would get a benefit from my existence. I went to where I could learn more about God so that I could teach others about Him. There's a lot of really terrible causes, but the one good cause in this entire world is the fact that God, King God, came to this earth and died for us. And yet we're just like the the man on the 12th row at the Ranger game, just shouting and can't even be heard. My encouragement to you is this tonight. Throw away your education. Throw away your desire to be in, to be popular, to 
throw away all reservations and how about you just live a life in praise and worship to God? How about when somebody pulls up to the, the red light beside you, they look at you and they can hear Brian Free and Assurance, or they can hear the Rochesters blaring in your speakers instead of that other mess you got blaring in your speakers. How about occasionally somebody catches you worshiping God? They come by your desk at work right before work starts, and they see you starting your day in the Word of God, and they say, well, that's weird. Rick's never done that before. How about occasionally people catch us doing right instead of the other way around? How about occasionally? Occasionally, somebody would look at your life and say, well, he's a little bit weird, but I tell you what, he is really sold on that Christianity thing. How about occasionally one of you would just make a difference in somebody's life and stop sending them to this television show and stop telling them to watch the Ranger game because Josh Hamilton's coming back? How about somebody stand up and say, God is good to me and I know he'll be good to you? How about we just become dumb as a box of rocks? 